you're thriving, you're doing well, you're just in a good mood. This episode was actually recorded, no joke, last year. The end of last year, one of the last days of last year, and I'm sitting here on the 31st of March. I cannot believe we're in April. Well, technically I'm not in April yet, but when you listen to this episode, it will be April, which is electrifyingly scary. Um, I cannot believe three months are already passed in 2021, but you know, things are looking up. I got my second vaccine this week, so I'm very happy. I'm feeling privileged and feeling safe and feeling ecstatic, obviously still wearing a mask like a crazy person, hand sanitizer, washing my hands. That's never going to stop. Maybe the mask will stop in a couple of months, but for this time, not yet. But I think this is a really interesting chat that we've got for you today. We, I have for you today. It's all about public speaking. It's something that I didn't realize was such a big deal. Like I knew people were afraid of public speaking and people had that in them. But I really didn't realize that is the biggest fear in the world. Like forget arachnophobia and fear of clowns and all of those sort of things. The fear of public speaking is the... um, thing that the world on average in surveys is the most fearful of. So it was only fitting to have someone who's an expert at this um, enter Brendan. Brendan has his own company called Master Talk. He kind of fell in it by accident when he realized he loved coaching and he was really, really good at public speaking. So he started with case study competitions where he fell in love and then he just started coaching all the teams and he just started making videos for free in his basement and put them on YouTube. Now, While there are like a lot of public speakers out there that are professional, they charge amounts of money that is just beyond you and I. Um, But Brendan was doing it for free in his basement and he just decided that he would just give the information he could to help anyone so that anyone of any sort of economic status, any sort of age, everyone and everyone can access that information that they deserve to have because not everyone can afford to hire a $10,000 public speaking expert for an hour's worth of training. So while he does create videos and has his own business called Master Talk, he is still consulting at IBM and has a full-time job. But he's kindly come on this podcast to tell us all about public speaking, give us some tips, give us some tricks, and just make it feel like it doesn't have to be such an overwhelming topic, if you will. I think we talked a lot about how you're kind of just thrown into public speaking when you start school. And, you know, I remember my first speech in year five and how I was praised for the speech. So I got really good positive remarks for it, which definitely impacted on the way that I approached public speaking moving forward. I wasn't fearful of it. I went in, I went in confident, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas someone who might've not been so good that would have really impacted their future public speaking. And it doesn't have to be just speeches at school. This is like, you know, everything, just like in a business meeting when you get into the workforce and et cetera, et cetera. So I really think all bits of this chat is beneficial to you, whether you are really good at it, whether you're confident, whether you're not. And I just really hope you are able to get something out of it because I most definitely have. Um, Hope you enjoy and till then I'll see you next week. Oh, and let me just really quickly preface that this was recorded like 5.45 in the morning. And usually, you know, you have a bit of time to warm up your throat and, you know, do the whole thing. But clearly the first part of the chat, I like, I couldn't 
I just couldn't get the frog out of my throat. So I was drinking hot water with lemon and honey. And you can hear like the cup, me trying to stir it. But it still was so croaky for so long. So please excuse that. It was just the time of day. Well, good morning, Brendan. Morning to you, Anita. Thank you. So I usually do start with finding out people's love languages. But for some reason, I feel like... It's a very interesting ask for you, if you want to. Do you know anything about love languages? And do you know yours? Of course. Of course. Fascinating way of starting the conversation. (laughs) So I'm definitely going to miss a couple. So I believe the five are physical touch. Correct. Physical touch, gifts, positive affirmations or compliments. And then it was... Acts of service. Acts of service, thanks. And the fifth one was? Quality time. Quality time, thanks. Yeah, but I know the ranking, though. I just don't, I just forgot the five. Oh, okay. I'm surprised, actually. Yeah, so so the first one is acts of service, which is fascinating. You know, I've always tell this to people. It's weird that for me, acts of service at the top, and it's not compliments or affirmations. And the reason is because being a speech coach, I know words can be construed, but actions can't. So for me, acts of service are probably the biggest thing. That's really interesting because I asked that question to see how people communicate and try and understand where they are. And I'm like, well, you're a professional communicator. So, I mean, I didn't have any thoughts. Wait a minute. What about you receiving on the other side? So that was you. You like to give acts of service. What do you like to take? Oh, I never thought of it in that angle, actually. That's, oh. That was actually me receiving. Oh, so you, you like to receive acts of service. Yeah, for, for me, giving. Yeah, exactly. For me, giving, I'm, I'm happy to give all five. I don't really have a specific... Uh, the, I don't have a specific love language that I give away... That I like to give away more than others. Right. But when it comes to receiving... But, but giving is one part I have to think about now. That's a, that's a good angle to it. I, I would say giving now at the top of my head. I'd yeah. probably say... Hmm. No, actually, I don't have a good answer there. It really depends on what the other person prefers. So I'll give you an example. I hate giving away my time. Really? I'm very like focused, you know, if there's no goal, like this is great. It's a podcast, you know, that's great. But I meant more of like somebody wanted to like talk to me for an hour for like no reason. I, I just hate giving that stuff unless they prefer to be received in that way. Oh, So for example, what okay. I found fascinating especially with the women in my life, mostly my mom and my sister, <clears throat> is I've, I've generally found, this is not always true, but, but I've generally found that, that women rank quality time generally above uh, other, other love languages versus men. Yeah. But men I'd don't like so. to give to quality time. The ones that are really ambitious don't because they're, they're always focused on their thing. So, so when their partner, assuming heterosexual relationship in this situation, but apply in all That's circumstances, close. they go, well, I need to spend more time with you. Then you're just like, but why? I don't understand. Right? <laughs> so, so, it's this, so that type of scenario where I took two full days off and just hung out with my mom and sister, that's actually very rare. Most of the time, I'm just in my basement, just working 16 mm-hmm. hours a day. But wow. I understand that that's how they like to be received. Yeah. Right? So I do it in that way. But I never thought of it that way. It's a good yeah, I, it must, it, I think yeah. it is a very female-oriented thing. To I, I take that. That's like my top one. I like quality time, and I give quality time. There you and go. you're actually just thinking, I think you're the first male to be on the show. Oh, I didn't even, okay, I never So, interesting. Well, welcome. It's nice to have a male finally. Let's get into it because how did you 
get to be like it's such a weird thing to be like oh hi my name's brendan i'm a professional communicator um but you are i've listened to some of your podcasts that you've done which you've done so many um you're just the way you talk is very different to how a normal person would talk in a positive way by the way um can we touch on a bit on your childhood to see how it got you to where you are Were you always confident as a child? You know, this is generally the part of the show where people tend to say, oh, you know, eh, Anita. It's like, oh, you know, when I was young, I was nervous and shy. That's not true of me. I I was always (laughs) an extrovert. You know, I always loved talking to people. But for me, the biggest challenge when I was a kid was talking in a language I didn't know. So I'm based in Montreal. And for those who don't know, that's a a city where most people actually speak French, not Mm. English. So I didn't know the language. So my parents threw me into a French education system. So I'd learn it. So, so you know, I'm, I'm grateful now I speak multiple languages. Right. But the process wasn't so fun because I would try to communicate to people in English and they wouldn't understand. And I would try to talk in French, but I wouldn't even understand myself. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's where the struggle a lot came from was I understood what communication barriers were at a young age. And then over time, as you know, I matured and I got better in different languages. When I, grad- when I got to university, I was able to really hone in my craft. And I started doing these weird presentation competitions called case competitions. Right. And that's how I refined my communication skills over time. That's really good. Well, did you want to voluntarily go into these case competitions because you had a passion for that sort of stuff or you just kind of fell into it? A bit of both. So I didn't know what a case competition was when I started university. I didn't even know what business school was, to be honest. <laughs> kind of just, you know, the first company I worked for was like this big accounting firm called PricewaterhouseCoopers. And uh, I thought it, yeah, just that one. <laughs> yeah, and, and I thought it was a water bottling company. Ah! <laughs> I was just so lost. I was like, what is this? Like, are they like serving water at this time? Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> Yeah, it's it pretty hilarious. So people don't understand the company, they won't get the joke. But anyways, yeah. I, I was pretty retarded as a kid. When I started, I didn't really know anything. <laughs> but what happened was I discovered case competitions when I was in business school. So essentially what that is for people who don't know, which probably most of people, business gives you a problem. You work as a team. <clears throat> people are generally in their early 20s. They figure out a solution and they have to present it back to the board of executives at the end of the three hours. So okay. it's pretty stressful. So most people who put themselves through that, to your point, is, is really to, to advance their careers. You know, people who want to get the top corporate job on Wall Street or the top job in some company, they do case competitions because it's the feeder school to get access to, to those types of opportunities. But the other part was, I just fell in love with these things. Mm. In the same way other guys are obsessed with like football or something, right. something I never really understood or comprehended. <laughs> I, I applied the same competitive aggression to, uh, to, to presentations. That's really good. And it would be something you'd be able to put on your resume at the end, right? And that would be seen in the business world as a great thing. Absolutely, right? Okay. It paid off for me. But yeah, that's, that's the point. That's what led to MasterTalk. Okay, that's amazing. I mean, what was at this point, because you weren't in MasterTalk yet, but what was your career trajectory? Yeah, for sure. So, so how it worked was when I was 12, you know, going back to the to the beginning, yeah. you know, the career advisor comes up to us and goes, you need to figure out what you want to do in life. So obviously most kids in that class would go, oh, we'll care if I'm 12. But I'm sitting there thinking, well, my mom's working minimum wage at a factory. I should probably figure out this career stuff. So I went home. I went through a list of all of the careers in the world. And I looked at my report card. So it was actually a very quick exercise because I was only good <laughs> at one subject, which is math. 
So I landed on accounting and I said, oh, I'll just be an accountant, even if I didn't really know what that was. And I really never changed my mind from like 12 to 21. You know, I got a job at Price. I interned there. It was a lot of fun. But, you know, over time, I kind of just said, oh, do I really want to do this the rest of my life? And that's when the idea of to work at IBM and to do consulting came. And that was mostly from competitions that I did in university. I was like, I want to do this every day for a living. So I applied for companies like Bain or McKinsey and all those, those firms. And I, and I ended up getting a job in consulting. And then after that, once again, the goal was not to be a YouTuber. The goal wasn't to show up on podcasts. Yeah. It was, it was to be an executive at a company, you know, have a nice family and then die. That was it. it wasn't, <laughs> uh, wasn't, I didn't aspire for much else. But Mass Talk kind of stumbled on, on my lap when I realized how like because I learned 40 years of communication knowledge in four because I was coaching a lot of these teams myself right mostly just because no one else could like there was nobody else we couldn't afford a speech coach I said okay let me figure this shit out and then I got good at it and and then I realized through a series of completely random serendipitous experiences that I was the youngest professional speech coach in the world and I just said wait a second why don't I make like videos for people who can't afford me? That's what led to what you see today. Yeah, because I know you've talked about this before, but I, I was really curious to hear you talk about how you just decided to make videos when speech coaching in particular is a big money maker in the world because there are not that many people that are good at it. Um, but you would just like, let me just once a week, I'll give you free stuff. Was, did it ever cross your mind that you should like hold on to your ideas and your, I mean, your gift, really? Oh, 100%. So many times, actually. Well, I think the only reason I didn't, want, I didn't have that intuition as often as most people in my industry do, hence why the content's garbage, by the way, on the platform, is, is because I never intended to make it a business. Right. Because like, remember, like for, I, I, have a, you know, I have a pretty good job. You know, consulting at IBM pays pretty good money. So and for me, you're still there, aren't you? I still am, right? Yeah, so you're exactly. doing both. So, right. So, so for me, it's like when I when I started the YouTube, it wasn't like oh, like I'm giving away, like oh no, I could build a business out of this. It was just like eh, whatever, like I'm doing good for myself. For for me, like the money I make now is more than I'm happy. I already yeah crossed the threshold of what I needed in my life. So, so I was pretty happy. I started making videos in my basement, and I thought it was a stupid idea, frankly. But over time. I kept asking myself deeper questions like, to your point, why isn't anyone else sharing this information openly and freely? And that's when I started to realize why they didn't. Because to your point, it is a moneymaker. And and I'm not going to lie, I do well for myself with the side hustle as well. But in the sense that, hey, you know, if if I have 10 executive clients, right, 10 CEOs who pay me 20 grand each a year to coach them, I don't really need to make free videos or show up on podcasts. Right? It's no. like, you're done. You just, you just sit there, you make your money, you work 10 hours a week and you hang out with your family and you snooze the rest of the week. If you're really Pretty good. Much. If you really want to, you can. Absolutely. And, and that's what frustrated me because five years ago, I couldn't afford me where right? I was a broke student who was just, you know, trying to make ends meet. And I just thought of like a bigger, like a, more of a societal thing. I was like, what communication is the most important skill in the world. If, if everyone knew how to communicate more effectively, our lives would just be better. Not just pres- presenting in front of 10,000 people. That's how most people see communication. But for me, it's not just that. It's how do you talk to the people in your life and engage with them in a way where they go, oh, I really understand you and I want to see you win. Mm. There's a lot of arguments in our lives have really nothing to do with like somebody being right or wrong. 
It has everything to do with misunderstanding. And communicating. Right, right, like think about how beautiful the first question you asked was. You know, very few people ask that question. Which one? The love languages? Yeah, the love language one. <laughs> like we're probably it's so what? random. Yeah, like I've probably like as you've done, I've I've done a lot of shows. This is the first time I've been asked the question. Right. Right. But let's think about that in the grand scheme of things. Think of all of the couples, all of the relationships, all the people have. What percentage of couples actually sit down for like 10 minutes and go, what's your love language? Can you rank them for me? Nobody. Right. It's like 0.1% maybe. Yeah. I'm like getting all my friends and everyone to get into it because, and, and people have told me that they've really started to get into it um, last year. Well, wait, I was like, what year is it? This is the end of 2020, <laughs> the end, beginning of this year when right. lockdown happened because they had to spend so much time together and they weren't getting along. They weren't able to communicate. So they turned, they were like, what is going on? And once they sorted out their love languages, I'm not saying it was easy, But they understood a little bit more of where the other person was coming from and they weren't getting so frustrated with the little things because he was thinking he was showing his love. She was like, you're ignoring me. Like, you know, but it was just a lack of communication there. Absolutely. Like another, since we're on that topic, it seems like a lot of women watch this thing. Another tip I'd like to give that I got from somebody else is what you can do with a friend or a partner is make them do personality tests. So personality tests aren't actually very accurate, but it does, it creates new types of conversations that you never would have had without the test. So let's say you're both sitting on a laptop, you both do the test for 15 minutes and you compare results. You can ask better questions. You can say, why, why do you think that personality test says that about you? And then you learn a bunch of new insights. It helps you a lot. Right. I mean, yeah, it, it, it just, it blows my mind how we can, we, we're taught to communicate the same way, but we don't, you know what I mean? Like even in school, and I've just been thinking about it, knowing that you're coming on the show and because public speaking, it, it was interesting for me to have you on the show because for me, I don't find it an issue. I'm not in, in terms of obviously you're a professional. I'm not a professional, but I'm not terrified of it. When there are so many people out there that are so terrified of it. And I was thinking they really, I don't know for anyone else, but they didn't teach us how to be a public speaker in school. They just said, you're going to public speak and you're going to present this speech on Monday. It was as simple as that. There was no like, this is how you do it. You shouldn't be scared. It's really simple. You're just talking to your friends. It was just like, you were either good or you were either bad. <laughs> and, and I'm like, that kind of makes sense, you know, because one of the questions, I'll get into my questions later that in specific that I asked a few people about what do you want to know? And one of them asked, are people born good at public speaking or are the good ones, do they work at it? Because she's terrified of it. And she was like, is it just in my bones that I'm just not going to be a good public speaker? Absolutely. And it's a great question. The, the way I see it is I always like to compare public speaking with leadership. So let's say we ask ourselves, are leaders born or created? The answer is pretty obvious if you think about it. How can you be born a leader? Yeah. Right? It just makes no sense, right? You're kind of just born. You just know how to lead a thousand yeah, people. Yeah, sure. <laughs> right? It, it's something you learn over time. And, and the, the only reason I was able to, I guess, have the quote unquote wisdom to coach people on the subject at a young age is just because I went through a lot of very hard experiences in my life that forced me to be a good leader, namely running the case competition program. Right. And a lot of those people are in the late 20s, early 20s, sometimes 30s. And you're the person that everyone looks up to as the, as the kingmaker for that program. 
So they go, well, whatever he does, I need to follow. So it's a lot of pressure when you're mm. leading that whole. So that's how I was able to, to hone on those skills. And I think public speaking works in the same way. Right. My whole life, I presented a language I didn't even know. Right? And you but just went with it. You just, I, just I guess went. you just had to have the confidence. Otherwise, you would just be squashed into the background. Absolutely. And you just had to throw yourself into the deep end. Otherwise, you wouldn't learn. Absolutely. But, but I think the, the added layer to that, and that's, that's the thesis behind the channel, is this idea that I believe anyone can master it, provided you know the steps, the right, right. steps to take. So, so let's start with step number one, mm -hmm. which is understanding why we're all scared of communication to begin with. And you had alluded to that a lot very well, you know, the, the Monday presentation, you kinda, you're kind of good at it or not, there's not much instruction. Let me push that analogy even further. 100% of all of the presentations we give are mandatory. We don't wake up one morning and say, you know, Anita, you want to get breakfast and present all day? <laughs> I'm probably what, one of four people in my country who does that. Mm. Most people don't do that. Every presentation you give is mandatory. It's an obligation. You also don't get to pick the topic. And if you do, it's generally something you're not passionate about. Think about the Renaissance in history. Right? You're, not, you're not talking about your dog in these presentations or your cat. You're talking about uh, some weird, obscure part of history that you never really cared about and you won't care about when the presentation's over. Right. And the third thing is you get punished if you don't do a good job. You don't need a, here's a presentation for you tomorrow. But by the way, if you screw this up, you're going to get 50%. If you get 50%, your average is going to go down. Your life is over. That's so true. Versus, <laughs> let's say something like sports where let's say with, with guys, it's, oh, or girls, whatever. It's, oh, hey, look, there's a cool game. You can watch the ones you like. You can have fun with it, join a community. It's a lot more interesting. Mm. And I go, wow, I love this thing. But if we, if we framed sports in a different way and we said, you know, instead of watching games, you're going to sit down, you're going to take exams on how to throw the ball. And if you get it wrong, I'm going to slap you on the head. Mm. And I, I guess it's even with the same as playing sports, it's, you know, put forward as have a go, do your best. It's if you lose, it's okay. We'll, it's okay. we'll get, we'll learn from it next time. You know, you can't predict what's going to happen, but I guess you're exactly right. Speeches, if you screw up, you screwed up for life. And I was yeah. thinking about that because I remember in year five giving a speech and I did good. And I think that really set me up. It, it's that thing where if you do good, you suddenly have a passion for it because you like being the best in a way. And, you know, I was lucky that my mom put me in speech. I, I think it's so weird that it's called speech for whole of my um, primary school. And you would have to recite poems and go to a set a Stedford's and present poems and stuff like that. But now I look at it and I think that was where my confidence in presenting came from because it was from a very young age. There was no other choice. You just had to do it. And I remember that year five speech, it was on, I think you had to pick what, it was our first speech. It was for this middle school speech competition. You had to pick your own topic. My mom obviously picked mine. I didn't think of this myself, but it was why balloons are bad for the environment. <laughs> like I'm what, like eight, nine. And I'm telling you why balloons are bad for the environment. Now, D did I believe it? No, I loved having balloons at my birthday party. Yeah, you're but like from eight. There on, yeah. And I think my mom probably did it so she didn't have to buy me balloons again. 
<laughs> like uh, because smart. she'd be like, oh, well, remember that speech you gave? Um, but anyway, the teachers loved it because they were like, okay, so this kid doesn't know what she's doing, but we love it. Um, and I got sent to like the next level and there was only two from the whole year five that could. And but it, it's that thing where you're said to be good once, you feel like on top of the world and you feel like you can do it. And so I guess everyone else in that class, for the most part, they probably felt crushed that because they didn't teach us how to do a speech because they said, just come with it, whatever topic you wanted. So I think maybe a lack of direction as well when we're younger. And I think Absolutely. you have to, and, and your program and you know, your videos are great because the people that want to make a change, they feel, I'm sure they feel comfortable coming to you. Do you get a lot of like comments about how people have um, gotten over their fear a little bit more and felt a bit more comfortable? Absolutely. You know, I think the game here is perception, Anita, in the sense that the fear of public speaking actually isn't our fault. It's the system's fault. It's the system that taught us to see public speaking like a chore. It's like yeah. whenever you think of public speaking, it's like doing the dishes versus what we're using public speaking for right now, which is to have a conversation that could hopefully inspire, inspire someone. That's the point of public speaking. Mm -hmm. And the question I'd love for all of you to ask yourselves and this is really the most important question of this entire conversation is how would the world be different if you were an exceptional communicator? If you were a great communicator, how would your life be different? And that answer is going to be different for all of us. Yeah. For you, it's going to be become a superstar in podcasting. For me, it's to be this YouTuber and sign autographs. No, I'm just kidding. But for, <laughs> for people who are listening, it could very much just be the quality of your relationships, yeah. your family, with your significant other, with your children, if you have any. It's, it's, it's that that should motivate you to master communication, not just for your presentations, but also just your life in general. Yeah, I think just like silent mic drop, mic drop right there. That's just fantastic. And <laughs> But I do want to say and ask, so people do have – like we've kind of touched on where the fear comes from and it's kind of that foundation wasn't set to begin with for a lot of people, but what can we do on like, let's say it's on the day people are going through a lot of anxiety with it. Is there something that you say is something we can do to help calm that self? Absolutely. You know what I always say is fear will always be there. It's not something that disappears overnight. I, there's still a lot of me that's still very insecure. I mean, I started Master Talk when I was 22. Who the hell am I to share public speaking tips with the world? Right? And I coach people who are double my age these days. Mm. So, of course, when I started, there was definitely a lack of confidence. And I still have some of that today when I present to new audiences or new types of people. But the difference between the best in the world and everyone else is not that the fear is inexistent or not there, but rather that the message that they have to share with the world is more important than the fear itself. So the fear gets crushed. Think of it like a boxing match. One side of the ring is your fear and the other side is your message. The fear will always be in that ring. But as long as your message gets the knockout punch, you'll always be successful. Mm. And that message is going to be different for different people. Here, I'll give you an example that I think will resonate. So Brene Brown, and I'm sure everyone who's listening knows who she is and her work. She's an expert in vulnerability, one of the top speakers on the planet. But even she's very public in the very TED talk that she gives. 
that she doesn't like public speaking. She goes, ah, oh, you know, I'm a PhD in social work. I don't have time for this kind of stuff, but hey, I got to give a talk. But the question we need to ask ourselves is not why is Bernays scared of public speaking, but rather why does she make the decision to do it anyways? That's the better question. And the answer to that question is for the single mother who has seven children. She knows that that person will not read her books and won't read every research annotation from her PhD level work. So Brene has a choice to make. And that choice is, do I put out the content? Do I take 30 minutes out of my life or a couple of hours out of my life to start a podcast or to do this TED talk so that hopefully that mother can see this information and inspire her to live a better life? Or do I leave my knowledge in books where I'm comfortable leaving it in? So she made a choice in the same way I made mine. You know, I started at a very young age and I did it because there's 16 year old girls and boys out there who can't afford a speech coach in the world who are meant to be the next geniuses of our society and aren't well equipped to deal with these types of scenarios. So I had a choice to make despite my insecurity. So in the same way, Bernay made her choice and I made mine. Now everyone needs to think very deeply about the question I asked earlier and make a choice that you're comfortable making. Yeah, I think, I think you're exactly right. And I was thinking about my friend who asked me to ask that for you. And I was like, yeah, in, in, she's from more of a business world, business mindset. And she's talking about how she can be totally fine in a conversation, but the second it's about a presentation, she can't even like get her words out and she's sweating bullets all day. She said, and, and I was shocked about this and it, and it shocks me yet. I can understand that so many people have a fear of this and I don't even realize half my friends do because they have no problem communicating with me. We talk all day. We talk for hours, no issues, but she was saying everything's fine until, you know, and she's like, I'm freaking out two weeks before having so much anxiety the day off. I just can't stop sweating. I'm doing everything in my power to get out of this talk. I I can't, I just can't do it. And she was, yeah, so that makes sense to like switch what you're doing it for and just acknowledge and accept the fear will always be there. But this is the priority and this is the message, whether the presentation is to get a promotion or what it is, you know. And I think I want to ask you, which I talk a lot about confrontation on this podcast because it's the thing that I struggle with the most. I can communicate, but I can't do any sort of confrontation. Do you see them as going hand in hand in any way? Just to make sure I got the question, is, is confrontation mean like you want to have a tough conversation with a family member or somebody at work? Is that what you're kind of... Yeah, like, it, yeah, I guess just call someone out. Not, call, not in a rude way, but say you're not okay with something or you, w- you would like to pretty much stand up and support yourself in some way. Absolutely. Yes. I definitely think it's hand in hand. Actually, I think the best part of communication is everything's hand in hand mm-hmm. in a good way, right? It's a multiplier effect, which means the better you get at presentations, the better you'll get at conversations. The better you get at conversations, the better you get at podcasting, et cetera, et cetera. So everything pulls into each other. And I think confrontation is definitely one of those things. But just to comment, I guess, a bit more granularly on confrontation, what, what I've always found the best approach 
is to understand the other person's energy levels and communicate in the way they want you to communicate to them. So for example, one, one easy example I can give is the people I've done shows with are vary a lot in personalities and ethnicities and types and how they interact. You know, some people it's, hey, Brendan, tell me about your love languages. It's a very calm, relaxing experience. So notice how my vocal tones mirror the way that mm -hmm. you're speaking. But I've definitely been on an equal amount of shows where it's, what's up, Brendan? Man, we're so excited to have you on. So in that way, I'm like, yo, what's up? It's great. And I'm a lot more informal, not more louder. So even in this very conversation, I, I make sure that the energy level I use is the same as yours. Right. Even if you might not realize it. Because the person on the other side will always assume, oh, that's how Brendan normally talks. That's not true. Right. So you want to do the same thing with confrontations. Always understand where the other person is coming from and their energy levels and communicate in the way that they want to be communicated to. What about if it's like a group setting, like it's a whole big business meeting and you've got to like put your hand up and say, I don't know, I don't work in business. So I don't, I've never really had a meeting like that, but um, I can just imagine like this boardroom and you have to put your hand up and stand up and out of the crowd and say, no, I don't think this is right. Do you like sort of gauge the whole room in general or do you kind of go for the guy in charge like yeah no that's a great point so so there's different obviously each boardroom is going to be different but i would say the general advice that i like to give is spend most of the time just listening to everyone else's perspective and weave in those perspectives as you build your argument so instead of going i don't agree this sucks this is stupid notice how that's just not helpful for anyone no. you could say something like you know i really appreciated chris's point when he talked about this specific point and then anita talked about love languages and how to have better conversations with people but based on everyone perspective this is how i think we should be approaching the situation right a bit of more of the like the oreo method if you will i used to love that yeah i think that yeah that makes sense to me <laughs> and yeah, i wanted the to approach that you go with. and there was one question i also got that i do want to ask um tips getting used to your own voice was that ever something that you struggled with oh yeah it's something we all struggle with i hate listening to my own voice at least i used to but the advice I give is you need to keep listening to it until it's perfect. And you need to get people who, who can give you harsh feedback on how it sounds. So for example, even if I don't sound like it right now, I'm a very aggressive person. Like this is the type of energy that I bring whenever I'm in a presentation. So when I coach my high level people, you know, my executives, I, I don't talk like this. No. I'm very, I'm very like in your face, like, hey, fix this because you paid me X number of dollars and you make sure you get your return. Right. So I'm very like in your face and I'm not very nice. But notice how in this situation, I don't communicate in that way. But when I started present, presenting, you know, like when I was 19 or 20 and I started speaking in these competitions, a lot of my friends would, would talk to me and say, hey, by the way, the way that you're speaking is going to work really well for like informal dinners. It's not going to work. It's not going to fly for executives because they're very calm, collected people. And it's very off-putting when you do that. So try and make your voice sound like honey. And that took a lot of work. Oh, so I wow. Okay. Like this, whenever I spoke to people, and then slowly over time, I refined the way that I spoke. But the only way to do this is to keep listening to yourself speak. Yeah, and just keep recording and listening. I mean, my mom has gone through that as well recently. She's, you know, she's working on becoming a motivational speaker. She's written her cool. book and everything. And I think before she, she was like, oh, I can't listen to her, my voice. Like, you know, ugh. and now she's, 
I think she's re-recorded her audiobook like three times at this point. So all she does all day is listen to her voice. And I think it just comes with a bit of practice, a bit of, and I think you have the voice you have. You haven't got much more room to work with besides like your inflections, the the tone, you know, the all of that. So you just kind of have to deal with whatever comes out, comes out, I guess. And I, I also want to ask, which we've sort of touched on when you've, you know, you've mentioned that you were quite young when you were doing this and suddenly you're like the youngest in the world, more or less, who can teach and coach these top executives on how to present and how to use their voice and how to master the talk per se. Imposter syndrome. That's another thing that we talk a lot about on Millennials Talk, imposter syndrome, because do you, did you ever feel, or do you feel like you're, oh, I'm not worthy or I'm too young for this. Who am I to be telling this like 50 year old man that he's doing things wrong? Oh yeah. Every interview I go on, I have imposter syndrome to a certain extent, Anita, where, you know, people go, oh, you know, you're Brendan from Mastertime. I go, I guess so. I mean, I mean, I live in my mother's basement, but sure. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So, so I definitely have, and I still do, right. I had it a lot more than I used to, but there's still new things that I haven't tried that I haven't pursued that where I definitely get imposter syndrome. But I do have a trick to fix okay. imposter syndrome. Oh, I okay. like that. It's actually very easy. Everyone take notes. Yeah. This is, <laughs> I appreciate, see, this, see, this is very humbling, right? You're like, oh, take notes of this kid who's sitting on a mattress. And yeah, well, no. <laughs> but the coach, coach us. Of course, of course. So, so the tip that I've found is to mentor somebody younger who's more impressive than you are. So I'll give an example. So I do a lot of pro bono work in my city for a lot of 16-year-olds, 17-year-olds. And these kids are super impressive. We're talking like some of these people are in like research labs, pretty insane, but they're like 16, Amazing. right? You're yeah. just like, whoa. Amazing. Like you think back to when you were 16, you're like, wow, no. You're like, oh, jeez. <laughs> no, it's just, no. The only thing I had going for me is I spoke three languages. That's oh, it. Wow. everything else. I was just, <laughs> I, I, just, have uh, that. <laughs> I just, uh, no, but you had the speech contest. You were winning a couple oh, of things. That wasn't primary, but anyway, thank you very yeah, much. It's, I'll I mean, take it's the still pretty good. Yeah. So, so anyways, I was, so it is, I was, I was the speech guy. Like I was coaching them on their communication. But what's fascinating when you coach people younger who are just as impressive as you or more, you have this accountability to them. Because here's what's great, interesting about imposter syndrome. We only apply it to ourselves. We never apply it to other people. So let's say, for example, you, you, well, let's say we're having a coffee in LA and you're like, oh, you know, I'm not sure about this podcast. I was like, what are you talking about, Anita? Look at all these people who are literally telling you how great this podcast is. They're like giving you questions that they want you to ask the guests. You clearly have a following here. I think you can build something important, but you'll never think that about yourself. Same thing with me. I thought Mouse Talk was a, like the stupidest idea. I mean, I started making YouTube videos in my mother's basement with a phone and no budget. But for someone like you who's listening to it, like, what are you talking about? It's not a stupid idea. There's like all these videos and I've been watching this, this, this. And that's what you want to leverage when you think about imposter syndrome. Your imposter syndrome will always get crushed if you're held accountable to people who are younger than you and just as impressive. So for me, if I want to be the expert, if I want to teach those 16-year-old individuals on how to speak, which I should be comfortable with because they're younger than me, I better be impressive. Right. If I better know my craft. Yeah, I better know my shit. Yeah, exactly. Because if I'm not impressive, then they won't take me seriously as the expert, which is what I don't want because my goal is to help them. 
right? Okay. Because if I don't set the right example for them, not about me, it's about them, then they won't pursue their goals. Because even they have their insecurities. They're thinking, yeah, I'm in this research lab. They're obviously super impressive. But when they think about communication, they go, oh, I don't want to communicate. This is not, I just want to sit in my research lab and do all that stuff. Right. And I don't want that to happen. I was like, what are you talking about? But then their reply is always, but why should I listen to you? So I better know my shit. You better, that's how, yeah, you have, better have an answer for that. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's how you overcome imposter syndrome. The only way, and it's not meditation or like reflecting on your life. I mean, some of it works, but I think the big thing is really holding yourself accountable to people who are younger than you. I think that's the biggest way. And I, this is just an interesting part to it because you've obviously worked with a lot of top professionals and everything in your work. Do you find a difference between males and females in terms of imposter syndrome versus, you know, a bit of ego or whatever? Like I, I'm really curious. I'm always curious about how males and females work and act and respond and communicate differently. Yeah, of course. And obviously, this is definitely going to be a generalization just for of the course. sake of answering here. But but just want to give a cab before people start throwing pitchforks at oh me. Oh, my God. <laughs> Stop, guys. <laughs> they go, what do, you, what do you think of women? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> why so, do you hate us? <laughs> yeah, why do you hate us? I, I would say the biggest difference I've seen is direct versus indirect communication. Once again, it doesn't apply for all men and all women. But what I've generally seen is men tend to take a lot more risk. They, they bite more than they can chew. And women bite less than they can chew. So, so let's say there's a job description and a man looks at the job description and notices that they fill six out of 10. They go, yeah, I can do the job. Versus a woman, when they look at the same job description and they notice they can hit eight out of 10, they go, I can't do the job because I'm missing the other two. So I don't actually know where that stems from. If I had to guess, it's probably the way our culture is set up right where where men are taught to just kind of run for the fences and to to eat and, and attack <laughs> yeah. and and women are taught to you know be care bringers or to be like peaceful or happy all the time so i think it's that social conditioning that makes us think in that way and i would love for us to to break that on both sides where men can be a lot more realistic about what they can actually achieve mm-hmm. and and women can can shoot for 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 can swing bigger yeah, I, it's, it's so funny because my mom uses that example all the time with the, with the job description. She's like, just go for it. The men are yeah. doing it. They're, yeah, they're the having a go and you're probably more qualified. But it's, it's so true. And, you know, it was really interesting because not, not to put any men down or anyone down, but even like the way um, – because you, when you messaged me about being on the show – and I was like filtering through and I was looking at your message. There was a few guys, there were a few girls. The tone and the language and the confidence were the complete opposite. And it really, it like, I was blown away. And I was like, I would totally message the way the girls did. And this again, very generalized, but the way that the, most of the guys were saying was, you need me, you know? They, they had that sort of attitude and little bit of ego in there, which, you know, it's, it's a very guy thing, but it was the confidence of I'm the best. You'd be stupid if you didn't have me on your show. Well, the girls are like, I think I'd be really good. Like, you know, we can talk about this, you know, I'm, pr- I'm pretty, co- it was like, I'm pretty confident. I can do a good job, but the guys were like, I'm the best hire me. And I think it, it was just, like right in my face to see those examples were like, it was next level. And I think, yeah, I think we need to both balance each other out a little bit more, but you know, is there, is there exercises you have like to, 
that we can do every day to whether it's be more confident, be better at speaking, better at confrontation, just applying and trying our best. Like what can we do each day to work on our craft? Absolutely. There's actually an easy framework you can apply that applies for men and women. And the framework is what is the result that you want to achieve? And has somebody else who is exactly like you achieved it before? And if so, how did they do it? What's great about every goal that you'll have in your life is somebody else has already done it in some way, shape, or form. So whenever I think about whether I should pursue a goal or not, I never compare myself. I, I'm sorry, I always compare myself with the person who has already achieved the result and where they started with and what they started with. So let's say when I think about YouTube, what gave me the confidence to start a YouTube channel is I would look at these huge channels like MKBHD, who has like 10 million subscribers, or Graham Stephan, who had like, 400,000, or he has, actually he has a couple million now. But the point is, when those two guys who are big inspirations for me personally, when they started their YouTube channel, I mean, MKBHD, Marcus was like 15 years old. He was literally some dude on the phone. He's like, hey guys, uh, I got a YouTube. Uh, his first 100 videos got him like 100 subscribers. I was like, if that guy could do it, I could do it. Mm-hmm. So applying this advice to women, you want to do that same thing. Right. Look at the people that you admire in this space. I mean, Oprah didn't start as like this big TV show host. She actually had a lot of struggles in her life that she had to deal with at the beginning because people weren't taking her seriously because she's a visible minority. And, and just the fact that you're, let's say you're not a visible minority, you already have an edge over Oprah. Exactly. Yeah. That's how I want people to start thinking. Not this whole idea of, oh, I'm a woman, so I'm an indirect communicator or I'm a man, I'm a direct communicator. No, because that won't apply. That won't necessarily work for you because I'm not that direct as most men are, right? I'm kind of right. looking at in-between yeah. space. So, so you want to look at yourself and say, who are the people that I admire and what did they start with? And can I find one person, not 10, one person who started with what I did? And the answer is almost always yes. And if you just lean on that person, you'll be successful. Right, okay. And in terms of public speaking and getting that confidence, do you have daily exercises you even do? Yeah, absolutely. I would say there's two parts to confidence at the end of the day, okay. right? Obviously, there's, there's exercise we can talk about that could work, I believe, but there's, there's two areas here, and we can talk about an exercise that we can use. At the end of the day, confidence stems from two things. One is preparation. Okay, if you just do more, you'll be more confident. You know, so when I was young, sure, I didn't know much about communication, but I also presented 600 times, right? So I knew... I knew what, what a presentation was, how to tackle it. So I had that confidence. So in the same way, if you're watching this and you're thinking about your own expertise, you just got to do it more. That's the advice we all know. But the other part that nobody talks about is having a belief system, not power posing, not jumping around, not breathing, having a belief system. Most people don't stand for anything. And I think that's what messes them up in their confidence and their presentation skills. Think about it. At the end of the day, right, I didn't have that much confidence when I started communication training and coaching. But what gave me confidence was the people I was doing this for. You know, Julia's 14 years old. She wants to be super successful in life. She wants to be an entrepreneur, a baker, a dancer, whatever she wants to do. It doesn't really matter. But she's deathly afraid of public speaking. So what does she do? Once in her life, because she's 14, and she goes on YouTube 24 seven, she types public speaking tips just to see what's out there. And what does she find? She finds a bunch of, no, 
She finds a bunch of old white dudes who don't know anything about communication. So she can't relate to those people. So she closes her laptop and goes, I'll never master communication unless I post. So every day that Brendan decides not to post the videos, millions of people like her suffer around the world. And not just the millions of people that exist today, the millions of people that will exist tomorrow, after, long after I'm dead, right? So if I don't make the videos, there's literally no one in the world who is in that age group who can create that content for that people. That's where my confidence stems from. It comes from this idea that, yeah, sure, do I know how to coach executives? Definitely not at the beginning, but I'm going to figure it out. Not because I'm going to drink a magic potion and be confident, mm-hmm. but because people like Julia need me to create high quality production. But the only way to do that is financial resources that Julia can't give me. So I need to go to those executives and get the money I need to serve people like her. Mm. So as you can tell, my belief system is very clear. Like you listen to me for two minutes, you're like, okay, I know why this guy does what he does. Right. Who he's doing it for. But 99% of people who are listening, and you don't need communication training for this, don't know what that thing is. Yeah, I don't even think I know what that thing is. <laughs> I just... right. and, and let me coach you through it. Super yeah. easy. Okay. Think through your top three fans. Right? Okay. The top three people who listen to all of your podcasts, who binge every, who, who are giving you the questions to ask me. Think through their life, their challenges, their struggle, and picture a life without your podcast in theirs. What would change? What would happen? I guess and, they wouldn't have the information that they want to know. Right. Push that logic further. What are the topics? Did they know about love languages before you talked to them about them? Did they know how to have better relationships with the people around them? The answer is probably no. And it doesn't need to be 10,000 women. It just needs to be three or two or even one. And if you really lean into those people, you have dinner with them, you party with them, you understand who they are, that motivates you like crazy. In the same way, by the way, once again, I thought mass talk is a dumb thing until I met Julia. Her name isn't Julia. I'm using an alias. Yeah, that's when fine. I met her, <laughs> right? I, and she was like, oh, you know, I'm really scared of public speaking. I was like, but you're so talented. Why are you scared of public speaking? I didn't get it. But she was just so freaked. She was literally shaking there that I said, oh, shit. Now I know why master talk matters. And then I went all in on that. Right. And do you, like, on that, I'm curious, do you make goals every year for yourself? Are you a goal setter? Do you make vision boards? Oh, 100%. You got to do all that stuff, right? But obviously, visualization is a part of the game. You obviously got to execute too. But I'm a big component of writing down your goals and holding yourself accountable. I have a coach for pretty much everything in my life. And and that's what I recommend for most people. And a coach doesn't necessarily mean you're paying them $5,000 a year or something. Right. It just means having smart people who aren't afraid to, to tell you what it you know, what it is, like telling you if you're reaching what you're doing. So yeah, and I encourage people to do that as well. Okay, that's really interesting. We should have another conversation about that because I think I I do host, it's so stupid because every year I host like this little vision board party, but I think we need to like, not just do that once a year. We need to like check in. How are those goals going? Like, let's, Absolutely. like if we're going to talk about it in December, let's not wait till next December to see how we went because we not leave like holding each other accountable. And I think we definitely need to be a bit more of that. And there is one question that I keeps popping up in my mind that I have to ask. It goes back a little bit, but <laughs> it's like the seventh was, time you're like, I gotta I, ask this. I was like, Oh my God, there was this one question. Filler words, filler words. How do you stop adding filler words when you're uncomfortable in a conversation? Right. So the trick to filler words is let's understand first why we use them. 
The reason we do is to buy time. So Anita asks me a question and I go, uh, yeah, so this is my answer. So we use filler words to buy time. The best communicators on the planet do is they still buy time. We're not smarter than anyone else, but we use nothing to buy time instead of filler words. And that's the secret most speakers don't tell you is that they can pause forever and never, ever make it feel awkward at all. And this takes practice. I wasn't born that way. And that's going back to the first part that we talked about. So the exercise is very simple. Practice long pauses and stares. So all you have to do is go to somebody in your house and stare at them for five minutes and don't say anything. You can blink, but you just can't do anything else. Most people can't actually make it to five minutes. They give up probably a minute in or 30 seconds. In. It's yeah. really hard to hold a gaze. And it's something I struggled with a lot. But obviously, I can do this now for like 30 yeah. minutes. I'm like I'd nuts. laugh. Right? Like, not, no, not, not that fine. you, but... Yeah, yeah. Laughing's <laughs> fine too. But, it, you, but like holding it for five minutes is super challenging. But if you can do it for five minutes... Well, then you can pause for three seconds, for five seconds in an actual presentation. And it's super easy for you to pause. And, and then you'll start to remove your filler words and start to replace them. Right. With nothing. I, I love that. That's actually a really good tip because, yeah, we don't pause enough. We just, and, and my, I, like for me personally, my mouth just goes faster than my brain can go. So something, we get jumbled quite a bit because right. that's just my thing. The one thing that we do end with on Millennials Talk is I always like bring up an article that's related to um, the topic, a millennial sort of article. And there, was, there wasn't really a specific article that I could find that was relevant and pretty new. But the one thing that was out there were there are a few articles on the statistics of public speaking. It wasn't particularly directed at millennials, but I was shocked to find three out of four. So 75% of Americans have a fear of public speaking. And that is the biggest fear in the world. So forget arachnophobia and, you know, spiders and clowns and they, they were all on the list. But the biggest fear is worldwide is public speaking. And like, so what for you, how would you like to change that? How, how do you see yourself being the, besides your YouTube videos? How would you, what would you like to do to be the voice of, you know, in terms of sort of not solving it, but helping that? Yeah. You know, my, my ultimate goal at the end of the day, Anita, is to live in a world where everyone uh, isn't, has the courage to share their ideas. Cause if we lived in a world like that, then we'd realize all of our ideas mattered and that we, we all matter at the end of the day. So, so my big overarching vision, and I'm, I'm lucky that I have a head start on this, so I'm fairly young, is to solve it for all 75% of those people. And I, and I think the best way of doing that is to first go through the YouTube channel, you know, spread the message to as many people as possible, and then enter the education system myself where I would, because I already have the curriculum, which is no one's giving me the keys to the kingdom. Right. Because I, I coach kids all the time, mostly my executives as kids, and I get crazy results for them. But that's easy to teach. Like that curriculum is super easy. Any teacher can apply that. So yeah, the goal is, is, to, is to live in a world where, where nobody is scared of public speaking. I hope I can achieve that in my lifetime. But I, I think it's a fun and a, and a worthy goal worth pursuing to the points that you mentioned. So let's see what happens. Let's see what happens. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Is there one last thing you'd like to say? One last tip, one last exercise, something you'd like to give? Yeah, for sure. I'll end with the book recommendation on life oh, advice. Oh, I like that. 
Sure. So, so people who want to master communication or who want to make a difference in the world, I highly recommend Thirst by Scott Harrison. I think Scott's a savant in storytelling and messaging. And he's done that very well in a sector that doesn't have a lot of funding, which is nonprofit. And, you know, with Charity Water in his, in his org, he's probably raised hundreds of millions of dollars off just public speaking. So I highly recommend his book. I think it's a really cool read and it will hopefully inspire you to pursue communication more as a skill rather than a hobby. And then the life advice I'll leave for everyone else who's, who's still listening to this, which I really appreciate, which is the <laughs> following. Be insane or be the same. If you want to be that. like everyone else, that's totally fine. But if you want to make a difference to the world, you want to do something important with it, the only way forward is the path of insanity. Don't you find it odd that a 22-year-old kid started a YouTube channel, not on vlogs, not on pranks, like most younglings, but on public speaking and executive communication. And then he went on to coach those executives a year later, but still lives in his mother's basement, is literally talking to you on a mattress that he sleeps on, doesn't own a car, dances alone in his basement an hour <laughs> a day, loves clubbing, karaoke's in eight different languages, and loves Justin Bieber. How does any of this make any sense at all? And that, my friends, is the point. When every decision in your life matters to the only person it should, which is you, you'll probably be very successful. So be insane or be the same. I love that. It's going to leave me like thinking all day <laughs> about my life and my goals. I'm going to like work on being insane in 2021. That's my goal. Awesome. Thank you so much for talking with me today. I'll put all your like um your YouTube and everything in the show notes. But I think this was a very it was more important to have this chat than I realized, especially when I saw the statistic that 75% have a fear of public speaking. I was like, wow, that's that's in a way heartbreaking because it's just talking. But you know, that's just how it is. But thank you. I hope you have a lovely day. You too, Nina. Thanks for having thank me. Thank you.